Welcome to the Berkeley Technology Law Podcast. The European Union's Digital Market Act, or the DMA, was published in the official journal of the EU on October 12th, 2022, and entered into force on November 1st, 2022. The legislation aims to radically transform how big tech companies operate by implementing regulations that limit the market power of big technology platforms, foster competition, and provide additional privacy measures to customers. The legislation empowers the European Commission to designate certain tech companies as gatekeepers and impose obligations on them in relation to data, advertising, e-commerce, interoperability, and the commercial relationships between the service providers, customers, and end-users. The review process by the EC to designate companies as gatekeepers is scheduled to start on May 1, 2023. The selected companies will have the opportunity to rebut this designation. It is expected that a total of 13 large technology companies, including Apple, Amazon, Google, and Alibaba, amongst others, would be designated as gatekeepers. While the EU policymakers have hailed this legislation as the EU's next big step into the digital age, the reception outside the EU has been met with mixed responses. Companies such as Apple have already expressed their displeasure, stating that the regulations will lead to unnecessary privacy and security vulnerabilities for its users and prevent the company from charging for their intellectual property. Several members of the Congress have also written to the President of the United States, expressing their concerns that the DME unfairly targets American companies while giving an undue advantage to European, Chinese and Russian entities. There is, however, a consensus that a DMA, much like the GDPR, will have large-scale ramifications and will, in all likelihood, change how big tech companies have operated for the past 20 years. To further explore the implications of the DMA, we have with us Professor Dr. Hugen Kuling. He holds the Chair for Public Law, Real Estate Law, Infrastructure Law and Information Law at the Faculty of Law of the University of Regensburg since 2007. Professor Hugen Kuling is also a member of the German Monopolies Commission since July 1st, 2016, and has been elected as its chairman since September 2020. We're excited to get his nuanced opinions in the DMA and how it aims to foster a more competitive market environment while simultaneously fostering better end-user privacy. Hi, BTLG podcast listeners. I'm Shabrina Kansa. And I'm Mahima. And both of us are pursuing law and tech certificate specialization from Berkeley Law School. In today's episode, we have Professor Jürgen Kuhling, who holds the chair for public law, real estate law, infrastructure law, and information law at the Faculty of Law of the University of Regensburg, Germany. And Professor Kuhling has been a member of the Monopolis Commission since July 1st, 2016, and elected chairman since September 2020. We'll be talking about the new Digital Markets Act, or the DDMA, which surprisingly is entering into force today, November 1st, 2022. Hi, Professor Kuling. Hi, Sabrina. Thank you for sitting down with us today. We are very excited to explore the implication of the DMA with you. First and foremost, can you give us a brief overview of the Digital Markets Act for listeners who are unfamiliar with the law? 
Yeah, first of all, thank you very much for having me. It's a, it's a pleasure. It's always been a pleasure to be at Berkeley. And now it's nice to be there on a sort of digital version. In any case, um, the Digital Markets Act, and as you said, it's the best day to talk about it because just, it just entered into force uh, today. And the basic aim is to sort of regulate or at least guide gatekeepers like Google, Amazon, Meta, Facebook, Microsoft, uh, most of them big U.S. American companies. Uh, we have to we have to see there are also some European ones, but mostly those big American companies who are gatekeepers in the digital markets, very important gatekeepers. And the idea is to keep up a fair and contestable market in the digital area. And uh, for having or pursuing this aim, there are a lot of obligations in this Digital Markets Act. I just give one example to make it maybe a little bit more uh, comprehensible what, what's in this act. And uh, it's one of the cases which is also being pursued by the European Commission, and it's a case against Amazon. And Amazon, as you all know, uh, has various roles in the, um, in the um, markets, in the various uh, digital markets. And one important role is, of course, that it is the marketplace for a lot of uh, businesses, but it is also selling its own goods on its own platform. So it's also in the retail business and therefore it has sort of a hybrid character. And the question is now, is Amazon using the business data it gets from the businesses in order to improve its own situation and to sell its own goods in a better way on this platform? And this sort of hybrid role, this vertical integrations and problems like that are tackled by this Digital Markets Act. So this DMA actually enters into force today, as you've mentioned, and we are very curious to know what inspired the European Union member states to develop and implement such a regulation. Yes, I already hinted at some part of an answer to this question because um, we had a lot of cases against, um, yeah, as I said, mostly the GAFAM companies. And um, the impression was that these cases on the basis of the classical, so to say, competition law, were too slow and um, therefore the idea was how can we speed it up if all those cases take like years and uh, there's also evidence that in some of those cases we have a winner takes it all ma markets which means that um, we have a tipping in this markets and the decisions will only be reached in a moment in which the the problems are already very, very big, and then it's too late. So the impression was what the commission is doing is too little, too late, and therefore we should have some sort of faster working rules. And all of those rules are inspired by cases uh, of the European Commission, but also of cases um, by the national competition offices, like, for example, the German uh, cartel office, which uh, is, well, in, in one big case against uh, Facebook, I don't know if you heard about that uh, in the United States, and one of those decisions, all of those cases are sort of the inspiration of those rules which are now in the Digital Market Act. So in terms of regulating this borderless digital market world, what regulatory framework existed in the EU before the DMA itself? Well, basically, you can say we have this very general competition law and it could cover all of those small rules, those detailed rules, which are now in the Digital Market Act. So, so to say, it's rather sort of a specification of what we have already. 
and therefore it's not really substituting some other kind of law. We will still have this uh, basic competition law and this Digital Markets Act add up to these classical competition law rules. As we all know, EU itself is a group composed of several member states, as you mentioned. So how will this DMA work in conjunction with other EU member states' national competition law? That's a, that's a very uh, contested question in, in the European Union, because you have to imagine like the German cartel office is also a very proud competition authority and it has handled a lot of cases in the last year and um, we just changed the German law uh, two years ago in order to help the competition authority to be more effective. And therefore, we have a strong discussion what happens now to all those new rules in some of the member states. But the basic idea is that we want to harmonize our competition law, which is an advantage of, for the consumers, but also for the companies. Uh, I can imagine if I was uh, Facebook or Amazon, I don't want to deal with uh, 27 different jurisdictions. And therefore, the idea is that this Digital Market Act harmonizes in the area in which it is applied. And the national competition authorities will sort of help the European Commission to enforce this act, but they will sort of lose their power to have cases in the same field. So once this act is really working, the national competition authorities can have sort of some kind of um, investigations, but later on they have to give these investigations to the European Commission and it's up to the European Commission to enforce those rules and only in like some well, areas which are not touched upon by this Digital Markets Act, like, for example, companies which do not fell, fall under this act or platforms which do not fall under this act. In these areas, the national competition authorities are still in full force. So now let's deeper on the requirements, obligations, terms and rules in this regulation, Professor. So the DMA introduced rule for providers of digital core platforms, as you've mentioned earlier, so-called gatekeepers. As far as I understand, the DMA aims to prevent these gatekeepers from imposing unfair condition on businesses and end users in order to foster competition. Could you explain more regarding this gatekeeper's term? What is this? What obligation do this gatekeeper have to help our listeners understand more about this new term? It's absolutely like you said. Um, the addressees of this DMA are gatekeepers and gatekeepers have to be very, well, they have to have a significant impact on the internal market. This is the first condition. The second is they have to provide one, at least one core platform service, which is of very relevant importance as a gateway for business users. And the third precondition is that it's not a sort of um, short-term um, uh, situation, but it is uh, entrenched and durable, the position of the gatekeepers. And only under those three conditions in a designation process, which will now start, um, the European Commission can decide that this is a gatekeeper, that a specific company is a gatekeeper. So what core platform services are addressed? Um, well, we had a lot of discussions on that. And um, some of the 
platform services were there right at the beginning, like for example, online social networking services, video sharing platform services. But when then we also had uh, discussions, shall we have virtual assistance on it or not? How flexible should we, uh, how broad should we have the, the idea of the core platform service right from the beginning? And, and the final compromise was to, to have it already rather broad, what a core platform service is. So all the cases in which we saw difficulties in the last years are sort of um, now part of this core platform uh, service definition. But then I said they have to have a significant impact on the internal market and this is done by numbers. So they need to have an annual union turnover of more than 7.5 billion euros. So it's really only very large companies which will be the addressees of this digital market act. And um, as far as users are concerned, they need at least 45 million monthly active end users. So even if you have a, a large annual over, a turnover, this is not enough. You, you also need this large um, amount of consumers using your service. So at the end, we think it's going to be only like one hand or two hands, like 10, maybe 10 companies, which will be addressees of this DMA. Professor, if tech platform, this big technology platform, failed to comply with the DMA rules that you've mentioned earlier, what are some of the consequences that they may face? Well, that was also a point of debate. Like, for example, I, I, I referred to one of those obligations that this is self-preferencing. You're not allowed to self, uh, to, to sort of um, give your own business, uh, retail business advantages. Then we have interoperability obligations, we have obligation to give access. And these, all of these obligations are in two different articles. In one article, they should be self-enforcing without any specification. And another article, there we have a sort of a regulatory dialogue with the European Commission in order to specify what exactly the rules are supposed to mean. And of course, the discussion was, well, those rules are maybe not even specific enough and the companies will not know how to behave. Well, to be fair, this is the problem of competition law anyway. I mean, at the moment, we even have broader rules and the companies still have to, to judge if, they, if what they do is an abuse of a dominant position or not. So in any case, I would say uh, the legal uncertainty is not getting bigger, but is rather getting lower. And this is very important as I am a lawyer and not an economist. It's important to have legal certainty, particularly facing the fines, because the fines are heavy. They are particularly heavy even if they are comparable to the classical EU competition law. They have a sort of an escalation, so to say. So if they're the first fine for uh, an abuse of, of one of those rules would be a fine of up to 10% of the global turnover of the company, which can be a lot, a lot of money. And um, we already saw those fines, like 1 billion euro fines against um, those big tech companies. So this is not very, well, it's not a big surprise that we have those strict fines. But if you have a second violation of the DMA, the amount will rise up to 20%, which is then 
really uh, could be really um, important for the companies and really dangerous maybe if you have to pay 20% of the company's global global turnover and then and this was even more open to debate if there is a third violation the dma says this is a systematic non-compliance and therefore we should even have stricter fines and uh, the strictest fine can even be that we break up the company so what we now at the moment we see in the u.s courts the discussion if uh, facebook and uh, instagram and uh, whatsapp has to be broken up this is the ultimate sanction also according to the dma if there is a systematic non-compliance other sanctions could be that you're not allowed to buy new companies a ban on acquisitions so there are a lot of different possible fines and of course this is very strict but i mean you can only apply those fines if you have strict evidence and 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 it, of course it has to be proportionate and all that and it's going to be checked by the european court of justice so at the end i guess the european commission will be smart enough not to overdo it with the fines thank you so much professor cooling i think there was a really good overview and gave us a proper base knowledge on this new regulation i learned so much and i'm sure my audience did as well so if you're okay i will go ahead and pass this along with mahima and we can learn a little bit more about the other interesting aspects related to this dma thank you shabrina i will take it forward from here and we will dig deeper into the topic wherein we will talk about GDPR relevance to this DMA, Germany Monopoly Commission duties, and the effect of this DMA on the big tech. While switching gears, I would like to talk about data portability and why this is important for data controllers. For our listeners who have never heard of this term, could you please define what data portability is and why is it important? Yes, well, the idea is quite simple and I think also very sensible. I mean, one of the big advantages of those ecosystems, of those gatekeepers, is that they have very large amounts of end-user data at their disposal. So if you're a new entrant and you want to go into competition with those companies, uh, one way to sort of um, lower the barriers to entry would be that you get access to those data. And of course, uh, due to our very strict uh, data protection rules, you will not get access to the data without sort of consent of the, of the end users. And one idea is the idea of data portability. So if the end user wants to switch the service or wants to use two services he can take his data from one of those companies and switches them to the competitor like for example if you look at amazon and if you have a lot of written a lot of book reviews and and there's a lot of data uh, saying what are your preferences and you want to use a different book selling a company then it might be interesting that you can just switch your data and move it to the competitor so the competitor knows a lot about your consumer preferences already and that is the basic idea of data portability speaking of the strict regulation the eu implemented the general data protection regulation otherwise known as the gdpr the gdpr regulates how data controllers process data could you please shed some light on the impact that the GDPR has had on data portability for big tech companies? 
That is a very good question because the point is the, the devil lies in the details. And this is what we realized uh, with the data portability. Because for, for the listeners, um, now we have some further data portability uh, um, rules in the DMA, but we already have since 2018 a data portability rule in the general data protection regulation. So we should have some experience, and this is the question you're asking. But to be honest, as I said, the 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 devil lies in the details and we have a lot of technical details we have a lot of data protection issues and so i have to say i'm sort of sorry we do not have so much experience in the data portability area so far because we haven't really gone very far yet and we do not have worked out all those technical issues how to transfer the data so so far and we will see if this happens to some other rules of the DMA. I think it's easier to design a rule in theory than to make it work in practice. And the idea is that with those additional rules in the DMA, maybe there is a sort of a boost to data portability and we will soon have more, maybe also more intermediaries, more companies which are helping the consumers to transfer their data from one of those big time tech companies to a competitor. But so far, it hasn't really worked out very good, I have to admit. It would be interesting to see the future. Definitely. As the chairman of the Monopolies Commission, could you also please briefly explain your role? Our listeners are very excited to know. Yeah. Um, well, I think this is a an institution which does not, does not exist in the United States, because you also have the competition authorities, which we also have in Germany. And uh, in Germany in the late 70s, because we had big problems with concentration and therefore we introduced a stricter competition law. And at that time, we also introduced the Monopolist Commission. And our job is to give advice to the government to look at the job the competition authority is doing and to give advice how should we change the law, how should the competition authority change its practice. And therefore, we are sort of an advisory body. But in some specific areas, we can also have a, a more, rele more relevant role, if I may say. And, and one of those areas is exactly the digital area because we have this new German law to which I referred. And this new German law refers to those big companies as well. And um, here, as one instrument to speed up the procedure, there's only one court decision. Once the German cartel office has taken a decision, it goes directly to the highest German court. And the highest German court can then ask us as a monopolist commission how we would judge this case from an economic perspective, because our institution consists of lawyers, but mostly of economists. And so we can give advice directly to a court, like an amicus curiae, you might say, but um, we will see how much our influence will be uh, then, at the moment, our influence is rather an influence of giving advice, but an advice, I have to say, to which the government and also the competition authority listens. So um, 
Well, of course, I'm very subjective on that question, but it's a lot of fun working in that institution and seeing that, you know, you can give advice and help. And, and this advice is realized um, also in, in the change of the law, but also in the practice of the uh, cartel office and also in the practice of the European Commission. As you mentioned, that commission regulates economic perspective. We would like to know what role did Germany Monopolies Commission played in enforcing this particular regulation? In enforcement, we don't have a role. Our role, again, would only be to give advice. And um, to be honest, uh, hopefully the listeners will still continue to listen what I say. I have to be honest that... Um, the influence, of course, of the European Commission, as we are a German institution, is smaller than our influence at the German level. But um, in, in a lot of areas, uh, we are in very close contact to the Commission and the Commission um, follows also our advice. And um, But in the DMA ex uh, implementation, it will mostly be up to the European Commission. Even the national competition authorities do not play a relevant role anymore they can do as i said some some sort of investigations at the beginning but then they have to hand over it to the european commission so so it's the european commission is the most powerful institution so uh, for your next uh, session you should invite the european commissioner she is really important speaking of european commission uh, how do you think it will ensure that this dma keeps up with the ever evolving digital sector yeah, that was also a, 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 punct, a point of discussion. And um, there is an inbuilt um, update mechanism. Like, for example, the Commission particularly has the chance to update the catalog of plat uh, core platform services. And there is a fast track legislative process according to which this DMA can be um, updated. And I think this is a very smart mechanism and I'm very optimistic once the Commission realizes that um, some of the relevant cases will not be uh, will not be uh, able to be decided under the DMA that they, that they will really get along adopting the DMA. As we know, antitrust laws and the DMA will inevitably overlap. How does the Commission plan to address this issue? Well, I think it's good that it overlaps because the European Commission will still be able to enforce the traditional, the classical, broad competition law. And once, it, as I said, it realizes that the DMA is not covering a certain situation, the Commission can open up a procedure according to the classical competition law and then go ahead and see if uh, if it can handle the case under the classical competition law and if this is not possible it can as i said in this fast track built-in mechanism sort of uh, adjust the dma so i would say that there is no problematic overlap but sort of a fruitful inspirational overlap between the classical competition law and the DMA. And, and it's no problem because it's in both cases the European Commission. So there's no danger of any sort of decisions which are not in line with each other. Thank you, Professor, for giving us the brief overview on the Commission and your role. We would now like to explore the effect DMA has had on the big tech. 
where do you see the future of big tech companies and this DMA? Yes, I think some of the roots are in the spirit that maybe we will have competition even at the level of the core platform services themselves. Like we will have a second Google. I'm very skeptical that this will happen. Google in Germany, for example, has a market share for, for in the search area of more than 90%. Even if we give access, according to the DMA, to click and query data, I don't think that we will have a second Google soon. What I'm much more optimistic is that we need competition in the adjacent markets. To come back to my example from the beginning, if you look at the Amazon case, I think it's very important. I mean, Amazon is doing a fantastic job having a great platform, but it shouldn't hinder the competition in the adjacent markets. Like, for example, we want to have all those businesses selling their goods on Amazon, and maybe someday we will have a second Amazon, or we do have in some specific areas, but a general platform like Amazon, I think it's a winner-takes-it-all market. So we will not probably have a second Amazon, but in any case, we will have adjacent in the adjacent markets a lot of competition, and that's very important for the consumers. And I'm very optimistic that the DMA helps us to keep up the competition in those adjacent markets. And I think it's good for the consumers, but it's also good for the um, big tech companies because uh, without competition, they will not keep on with their pace in innovation. And, and therefore, I think it's good for everybody. And very op optimistic that it will help in this area. Yeah, speaking of the fact that DMA's purpose is to uh, promote competition in adjacent markets, do you think that the goals that the creators of the DMA had in mind will be accomplished with this act? As I said, I'm, I'm optimistic in for the adjacent markets and um, we as a monopolies commission have also been very much in favor of the whole design of the DMA. We did have some... Um, rather minor proposals how to make it even better. Like, for example, one of point of the critiques also of the big tech companies was that there is no efficiency defense. And the, the fear is that we might have a loss of innovation because we do not have this efficiency defense. So we will see where the first case is being decided and the, the how, how the big tech companies will react. I think if we do identify issues like that, we will have an amendment of the DMA and it's going to be changed. Because one point is quite interesting to see, uh, the whole DMA legislative process was impressively fast. So I'm also very um, optimistic that once we realize that this DMA sort of is too strict, it has overdone it, uh, we have disadvantages in the European markets, which we do not have in the US markets without those strict rules. I think we will adopt those rules. So I'm pretty optimistic that even if it doesn't work out uh, in all the areas perfectly, we will change the law and we will learn from the uh, application of those rules in the digital markets. And um, sort of in a very general term, we had under enforcement so far. If there is now the danger of over enforcement, we will see it and we will change the rules. We understand that DMA is enabling healthy competition across digital media. Overall, however, we are concerned to know if the DMA will do more harm than good. 
For instance, an iPhone owner starts downloading apps from alternative platforms. Will doing so expose the device to more risk of fraud and malware issues that Apple has been trying to protect users from? Yes, we see the point. And uh, to be honest, I'm a big fan of Apple. I'm, I'm sitting in front of like 10 Apple devices at the moment. Uh, so, so even personally, I'm, I, I really see this point. And, and one of the big advantages of Apple is, as you said, that it's doing a very good job in that area. Well, we will see what changes now. We, we, we are not very, I, we do not think, I guess, that the security precautions will not or will definitely uh, prohibit some sort of competition because what Apple will still be able to offer is that any changes, any, any competitive um, service providers on its platform have to be under review. They can be authorizing those providers and they can ask them to pursue high standards. And also as a customer, uh, you might decide if you want to stick to 100% Apple products and Apple implementations or if you want to try to use um, competitors. So we are not that skeptical that uh, sort of trying to have a little bit competition like for example on payment systems yeah that this doesn't work uh, without um, sort of destroying the whole apple system and endangering its uh, its good services it's doing and the security it is providing so well we will see that but we are optimistic that those so uh, problems can be solved so you do to be, to be very clear, you're not obliged to sort of provide the platform to any dangerous uh, service provider. So you can sort of enforce high security standards nevertheless. Further, what do you think, what impact will the DME have on advertisers globally? I think, yeah, advertisers, I think, first of all, um, you have to see, I mean, everybody knows how important advertisement is for the financement of a, a financing of a lot of services. And particularly in, in Germany and in Europe, everybody's much aware also about um, uh, media services, which are financed uh, uh, through advertising and how to keep up a good economy in that area. So it's a very delicate and important question to my mind. And what the DMA is doing, providing at the moment if i think it's quite moderate because it only says that like competitors should have more access to measuring tools for their own performance on the gatekeeper platform and i think this is rather a moderate instrument trying to sort of provide or to to sort of make the life of competitors easier than it is at the moment so for the dma i'm not that skeptical i have to admit, nevertheless, that um, we have some other legislative processes at the moment, and uh, I'm skeptical that those rules which are now coming in other acts are as mad, smart as the DMA. To give just one example, we also have, attention, a DSA, a Digital Services Act, and within this DSA, we now have a rule which really makes it difficult to have targeted advertising. And I think this is a big mistake because I think it should be left up to the customer. If he wants to pay a service with his data or with money 
or with his attention watching advertisement being targeted or non-targeted, this should be left to the customer. And we have a certain tendency, which might be, uh, even for me and for the Americans, I guess even more, uh, be uh, identified as a little bit paternalistic. And uh, this is what we have now in this DSA, and we'll see how this rule will work out. Because you have to be honest, if we prohibit targeted advertising, fact, I mean, as a matter of fact, we sort of have the tendency to do that, because even according to the GDPR, the rules are very high to, to be allowed to have advertisement being targeted. Uh, then, of course, we need some other resources to pay for those excellent services, and this will be money. And some people might prefer paying with their data as long as it is transparent and fair. So I think um, maybe the rules are overdoing it in that area a little bit, but this is not an issue of the DMA, but of the DSA. Speaking of DSA, could you please give us a brief overview of DSA? The DSA is uh, apart from this small point to which I just referred, is to my mind, as I'm also a professor in information law and, and not as the, as the chairman of the Monopolies Commission, which is even Im more important because the D Digital Services Act primarily helps to regulate services such as Twitter, uh, Facebook, as far as contents is concerned. Because, I mean, I guess that in the United States and Europe, we sort of have a quite different approach. Like, for example, what we are watching now in the United States, that Elon Musk can pay and buy Twitter and can decide if uh, it should be run in this way or in that way. This is not the European approach. According to our European standards, we also have a very important First Amendment. Freedom of speech is very important, but it's also very important to you know, safeguard personal rights, privacy, etc. And this Digital Service Act tries to help to have a healthy, well, a healthy community standards on those platform. It's it's um, it's a it's a service uh, act on question of hate speech, fake news, and that stuff. And I think for safeguarding democracy, I would say that's very important that it's not left to the rules of the uh, intermediaries but it should be up to the democratic society to decide how we want to get along with fake news and with um, hate speech and how we want to allow our, well, our public discussions being infected by those type of communication. So this really brings us far away from classical competition law, but uh, into the heart of democracy. But this is not what I'm saying now is not as the chairman of the Monopolies Commission, but because we're not in charge of those questions. As you mentioned a while ago, the DMA promises stronger privacy controls by ensuring that the platforms must obtain explicit permission from consumers to use their personal data for targeted advertising. What challenges might these privacy protections bring for users? For example, currently, many websites require users to accept cookies. Can we expect similar policy shortcuts which may hinder the experience of users? Yes, as I said, this is probably not a problem of the DMA because the DMA rather regulates that the competitors get access to their consumer, their consumer data 
being stored by the platform and this is a competitive advantage they get according to the DMA and then they have to ask the end users if they agree to it. So this rule in the DMA I think is a fair balance rule and the question will be how can we sort of find a way to easily obtain such well how do we get the consumer to agree to such an arrangement without making it too complicated and those cookie agreements which you refer to is, is not a good solution because we have this click fatigue everybody is really very much annoyed in europe because he has to click to it anyway so we are looking now for different solutions how we cope with it and i think the cookie solution is no good solution but maybe we find a better solution for this transfer which is allowed according to the dma but this problem is not being produced by the dma but this problem is being produced by the gdpr and uh, we still haven't found a good solution for that because the balancing we have we want to have consent but this type of consent is, of course, uh, how can I put it politely, is not well functioning. Yeah, it's getting on our nerves and, and then everybody clicks and says, yes, 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 I want to get the service. So we, we are trying now to develop alternatives, but this is very difficult. So, so you're completely right. We have user unfriendly rules at the moment and we haven't worked out user friendly rules sort of allowing them to stick to their sort of informational self-determination that they can really decide on it. And we need some other institutional arrangements. Like, as I said, intermediaries could be of help. Like I sort of go to my intermediary and tell him how my policy is like, and then he does it all for me. And I don't have to click every five minutes once I'm surfing in the internet. But this, to be honest, is not very, um, satisfying at the moment in the European Union and um, but this is a GDPR problem not a DMA problem. Moving on given the large global presence of digital platforms do you think it would make sense to have uniform international regulations? While the DMA is a step towards that direction the global regulatory landscape still remains unclear. What do you think the future holds in this regard and do you have any sort of concerns in respect to this? Yes, I, I think to, some of the rules might sort of set a global standard. Like, for example, we have this discussion already with the GDPR, and um, I now stick to a, a term being uh, uh, from Paul Schwartz, uh, in which class I, I was able to be, and, and he's a friend and a great guy, and he calls it the Brussels effect, that um, we have this sort of standard which is being produced in Europe and then it might be uh, applied also in different countries around the world. And I think with the GDPR stand standard, at least to some extent, some of the rules are smart and they might be helpful as a global standard, at least in some countries, but not global. But I think that, like, for example, we will have a common approach with China or other countries like that because we have so many so many differences how we approach how we should get along should get along with data that i don't see any global real global standard and with the dma i could imagine that we might have to some extent the same effect because i think there are some rules in it which might inspire at least some other countries if we if we get along with it if we show that we can really um sort of 
protect the competition, as I said, in the adjacent markets, this might inspire some other regions and, and countries in the world. But we will see. They have to work out, they have to be convincing, and this is a very slow process. And um, my impression is, for example, um, from the US legislative process that we had a lot of proposals which were close to what we proposed, uh, what we have now in the DMA. But um, as far as I understand it, most of those proposals will not turn out to be uh, some kind of uh, statute one day. So um, we see at the moment that European legislative process is very fast. Maybe at some I refer to one example, maybe it's sometimes even too fast, but in any case, Europe is really willing to, to sort of regulate the um, digital markets and the digital services to an extent which is good for the consumers and good for the democracy, and it's acting very fast, and that might be an inspiration for some countries, but to be honest, I don't believe in any global rules, rules uh, because we are so different, our cultures are so different all over the the uh, the, the world that, uh, I mean, it's, it's practically impossible. Thank you so much for sitting down with us and sharing your valuable insight on DMA with us, Professor. It has been a delight to have you. All of us have learned so much. Thank you very much for having me. It was a pleasure. Thank you for listening. The BTLJ podcast is brought to you by podcast editors Isabel Jones and Eric Ahern. Our executive producers are BTLJ senior online content editors Catherine Wang and Al Malecha. BTLJ's editor-in-chief are Dylan Hewell and Jessica Lee. If you enjoyed our podcast, please support us by subscribing and rating us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, write us at btljpodcast at the rate gmail.com. This episode was recorded on November 1st, 2022. The information presented here does not constitute legal advice. This podcast is intended for academic and entertainment purposes only.